Welcome to Three Thoughts On. Today we continue with our series on book reviews, and my guest is Marco Frigerio. Marco and I have been friends since the late 90s when we worked together on the deployment of one of the first CDMA wireless networks in Latin America in Buenos Aires, Argentina. A lot has happened since then. Marco not only has a reputable career in cellular telecom, but has also worked with the U.S. Navy. His global experience in both the commercial and military worlds has exposed him to a variety of leadership styles and approaches, some of which were great, while others not so much. This drove him to write a book titled Leadership, Art or Science? In the book, Marco shares what he has learned over the years and provides concise examples of successful and not so successful approaches to leadership. Marco and I agree that the world needs better leaders. Leaders who understand that the world has changed and will continue to change. But most importantly, the world needs leaders who not only understand the environment around them, but also understand themselves first. We had a great conversation, and I am sure you will enjoy the book. And now, Marco Frigerio. Welcome to Three Thoughts On. Today we continue our series dedicated to book reviews. And I am really happy to do this with my good friend, Marco Frigerio. Marco, how are you doing today? Doing great. Thank you for uh, this conversation. Excellent. Well, Marco just published a book called Leadership, Art or Science. I am very proud of, of you for, for doing all this work as Well, the audience may not know this, but you and I go way back. We, we met a long time ago back in, uh, in Argentina, your, your home country. And uh, I was not only proud of the work you've done, but also I'm, I'm so honored that you asked me to write the foreword uh, for your book. But before we get into the details of the book, which we will, can you give us a little background for the audience on, on you and, and who you are? And what led you to this path of writing this book? Certainly. Well, um, again, thank you for having me uh, to share my experience and thoughts on this book. I don't think um, I have all the experience to write a book, but nonetheless, my experience led me to uh, scrutinize uh, failures and successes, right? And with that in mind, I started compiling things that they work and they didn't work. So I started my career in, uh, in Argentina, as you mentioned, in cellular networks. And my work, similar to, you, to yours, led me to travel and be in through multiple countries and experience the different leadership from different cultures, backgrounds, and in some cases uh, experience great successes as much as uh, fantastic failures. So uh, that evolution took me to start thinking, what do we need to have or what do we need to develop to be successful? Um, and the difference between leadership and management. And, um, and that's where I learned that to be a leader, you don't need to be a manager. 
So uh, leadership is not a position of power or um, position, uh, but quite the, quite the opposite. You can be a leader, and we have the discussion multiple times. You can be uh, a leader in your family. You can be a leader in in your church. Uh, naturally, it's easier to see a leader when he is in a position of authority, but it's not necessarily connected. So um, with that in mind, I start inquiring or what is it to be a leader then if you don't need authority to you know to administer a, a leadership and that led me to start poking around uh different uh figures i mean you can think of uh, elon musk uh, whether you agree or disagree with his views uh, and and great uh, presidents per se you know, regardless of political parties they're is a transforming country. And I, I said all the time, you can get to be a president, and, but it's harder to become a great president if you're not a leader, because now you need to lead uh, elements you don't control. So um, that led me to digest multiple areas from communication, how to uh, motivate people, how to uh, analyze uh, body language, how to be um, uh, able to listen the unspoken words of disagreement, and that's a lot. And the principal area, which is communication. I think that we have a big issue in communication nowadays, and that creates a lot of problems in companies. Well, thank you for that background. Yeah, you've, I've been taking notes as you've, you've been... You've been talking because there's a couple of things I want to jump right into that are right in the in the heart of of the message that you have in your book. But I think I think it's important to note that this is you, you brought up something right off the bat, which I think it's it's worth mentioning again. You, you're writing a book about leadership. You know, you're questioning yourself whether it's an art or a science. And 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 as you read the book, you you go through that thought process yourself, but you, know, you have, you're an engineer, you're a couple of years younger than I am, but you have a very similar background, you know, you telecommunications worldwide, you were with Motorola, you were with Ericsson, you were with so many different companies like myself. You're also an officer in the Navy. Uh, that gives you visibility uh, from a different point of view, it's not a corporate environment. It's not a, a profit and loss center, but it's a safety. It's it's, it's the security of the of the country and so forth here in the United States. Um, and I, I love what you said. It's like, well, maybe I don't have, maybe I haven't been enough of a leader to write a book like this. But I've certainly been under many many leaders in my career, and I've been able to observe what has worked and what hasn't worked. And from that point of view, as a follower, I do have something to say about leadership. And I like that a lot because I think we sometimes put ourselves down. It's like, well, I don't have that experience. Well, maybe you don't have it directly, but certainly have it indirectly between the two of us. We've had a couple of dozen leaders that we followed along the way in our careers. And some of them have been great. Some of them have been okay. And some of them have not been very good at all. And I think that's a good starting point for an objective discussion of what leadership is. So, so thank you for bringing that up. Um, 
because I think that that sets the stage for people who may question and say, well, what's, what makes you adept to write on, on such a topic, right? Well, if you're paying attention, at some point you're either leading or you're following. And if you pay attention, you can, you, you can critique it in an objective and respectful way, one way or another, right? That's right. And one thing that um, I heard recently from Simon Sinek is that we, the, the great leaders are the ones that they're constantly studying leadership. So uh, you don't need to be an expert. As a matter of fact, you will never to be an expert because you're constantly raising the bar. So the minute that you think that you made it is when you're going to create problems in your organization because you think you have enough elements and you're, you're learning your education stop. So from that, from that perspective, uh, you're always leading, and there is a misconception which I don't address it completely in the book, probably for the second version of it, is that leadership is not top-down. So leadership is middle up, middle down, middle left, middle right. So, uh, and you need to adapt your leadership uh, independently if you're going up, down, left, or right. So there is certain language, motivation, and skills to leading people to follow you, which it takes similar skills but different approach if you lead in your boss. How do you tell your boss what to do? Uh, and people got the misconception that you cannot lead up the chain of command, which you could and, and you should, as a matter of fact, as a part contributing in this uh, machine, uh, per se. So uh, with that in mind, uh, I, I hone in in the book about three key items that leadership of follower needs to uh, adhere and promote every time. One is clarity. So uh, there is a misconception that a leader is the person who knows it all. Um, and I will argue that a, a leader needs to be humble and needs to, and more, more likely will be leading much more smart individual that he is. And he needs to be humble enough to be able to get everybody uh, in line and make sure we all achieve the, uh, the deadlines and get attack and uh, conquer the objectives. Uh, the other item that the, the, a good leader needs to be able to uh, master is to know himself. And not for a chance, I... The, the chapter two of the book, it goes directly to understanding yourself as a leader. And uh, there are little biases that might side, uh, you know, blind you. And there are uh, a little bit of self-awareness, cognitive awareness that you need to have in the environment that you're working on to make you an effective uh, leader. But more importantly, and, and this is something that, that I heard the other day, when you define yourself as a leader, the easiest way is not define what you are, define what you are not. And that's where people fail because they try to say what they are and they more than likely say it wrong, phrase it wrong or execute wrong what they think they are. So you should start saying what you are not. And then when you box yourself in the corner and you realize what you are, now it comes to 
Eureka moment, right? The Jesus moment. Oh, that, that's the person that I am. That's the leader that I am. So now you can start addressing with the self-reflection, self-improvement. And, um, and uh, I love in page 51, I started with uh, how do you transform your leadership once you realize what you are? So how do you lead from within? How do you read the rebirth, the re-engineering of yourself to becoming that uh, transformative and effective leader that you want to be? What I like to do here is is to throw something at you and see if you agree, disagree, partially agree, partially disagree, and see if you can expand on this, right? Because there's a lot of books about leadership out there today because we, we as a society recognize that especially in these times, uh, we need to do better as a collective. We need to do a better job of bringing people together instead of falling into the tribalism that we seem to be falling into. Uh, that's not just as a society, but even within corporations, you see that. You see that within the family. You see that within the community. It's not a political conversation. It is really a social problem that we're seeing, right? So when I read the book, two things came out that seemed to be, uh, I can't say that it's a first of its kind because I, I I haven't read every single leadership book that's out there, right? So <laughs> I, I know I've, I've read a few, but not, Let's be honest. not all of them, right? But it, it seemed unique to me that you took two sides of the problem. One is, is understanding yourself, is doing that self-observation of who you are or who do you see yourself as a leader, but then also doing the observation of the environment around you. You talked about motivation. You talked about observing body language of others. You talked about looking at how people agree or disagree. You're talking about the communication style. So there's this, this dichotomy of I need to not only observe myself constantly, but I also need to be observing others. And in observing is – observation is – a is something that requires a lot of patience. That's right. Because you can't just react to what's being observed. You have to observe, you have to process, you have to come to some conclusions and then take some sort of action. So it seemed to me that from, from your point of view, these two are very, not only very much intertwined, but they cannot be separated if you are to become an effective leader. Can you comment on that? Absolutely. Uh, and one of the things that I will agree and I will uh, go beyond is that you say you said the patient uh, when you observe yourself. I will, I will say that patient is the key element, but consistency is the other one. So you need to do this uh, self-evaluation constantly. And... Um, and seek feedback from three different levels. And I like always to have three different levels. One is more a professor, more a funda fundamentalist, if you wish, uh, type of a school teacher that will tell you, you shall do this. That's the first feedback. The second is a peer feedback for two reasons. The peer feedback is the one that brings that exaggerated Depending on the agenda of your peers, some will compete against you, some admire you, some don't care. So 
each mentality will bring a perspective to it. It's like looking at a cartoon. You know, when you go to those carnivals and they do a cartoon, they highlight areas that you don't see in yourself. And you, if you have kids, you will see that. You, you, caught, you caught your kids saying things. And where did he get that from you? So sometimes getting the middle feedback from your peers is also bringing a good perspective. And the third is from people that uh, is following you. And the reason behind it is because you got two kinds. You got the kind that really loves you to death. So that's all the flowers. And and it's nice to get the flower, not to get uh, self-reassurance. But at least you know the areas you're doing well. But also like to do the ones that don't like you because not to go running like a, a, a reactive, oh, I need to fix this, but it's just, just to see what is broken, what motivates this person to be against my leadership style. Maybe it's one of the uh, biases that I haven't addressed it and I don't know I have it. So uh, uh, it's one. I think the key of success is being able to constantly looking at the mirror, and um, and uh, this uh, self, um, this constant evaluation serves. In the book, I like to refer to uh, a good leader is effortless endeavor. When you do it right, it feels like you're not doing anything, which is a, a little bit of a contradicting because you might think, well. Uh, nothing is happening, you might think you're a good leader. So leadership is like balancing a two-ton rock upside down. When you have something in equilibrium, to put it back, it, it takes less effort. If you ride a motorcycle, you will know that huge motorcycles, skinny guy like me can can balance that out with minimal effort. But if it tilt certain to a certain degree, you need massive efforts to put it back in, in equilibrium. That is... In, in a nutshell, when uh, a leadership is well executed, like a few, uh, few movements create great balances. I like that analogy of the motorcycle because it is true. You know, people who have experience riding a bike know that if you're doing things right, it's going to stay up. And it's, it's not going to require a lot of effort from you to keep it up and keep it riding straight. But if you fall, it's a lot of work to pick it back up, especially a bigger bike, right? So it, it, I, it's important to note that this is not what you're saying here. It's not that it's, it doesn't take work. That's right. It's just, it's, that's right. And reading the room is, I think, one of the biggest assets any leadership can have. A nod, a sight, a, a, a rolling eyes, things that are unsaid that you need to address it. And now how you address it is the art, right? The art of the, all these signs. So do you address it in public? Do you take it outside? Do you uh, say, hey, let's have a coffee? Do you ask for lunch? So uh, and that's how the art comes to how do I make this balance using all my science, stay in equilibrium. And those are great leaders, right? So empowering anybody beneath you to use their skills in a magic symphony of equilibrium and, and self-sustaining momentum. Excellent. One of the things that you touched up on the book, I think it's chapter four, if I'm not mistaken, you talk about 
leading through change. And to me, that, that was that was an interesting chapter because, again, you know, both, both you and I, you know, we have spent and continue to spend a significant amount of time in corporate America. And corporate America has this very legacy way of thinking. Even, com- even corporations, even companies who see themselves as innovative, nimble companies still have this mentality of, if it's not broke, don't fix it, <laughs> right? Which means, basically, we're not really willing to make a lot of changes, right? That's right. We are just going to keep doing things because they keep working. And then the world around continues to change because the only constant is change in organizations. And then, therefore, the people within those organizations um, pay the price when organizations choose to not change. And... It seems that you're arguing that in order for leadership to take place in a positive way, change must be embraced. Am I saying that right? And yes, yes and no. <laughs> Let me put it this way. Uh, the first part you said, I'm 100% uh, uh, in agreement with you. And if you move this to the uh, uh, realm of a military environment, it's even worse. It's a big elephant. It doesn't turn in corners. It doesn't speed up like a motorcycle. So how do you move a big elephant when uh, you are in a race, right? So it's, it's really complicated to race a horse with an elephant. It's not, you're not going to end up winning. So how do you do that? How do you embrace change to, in your favor? And how do you embrace change in an organization which is uh, static with uh, uh, you know, years and years of don't fix what ain't broken, uh, was the theme, so how do you bring it back? And then you can see that uh, very successful companies are disrupted. They do understand the change. Uh, but more importantly, let me put it this way, uh, if you don't realize that management is a people business, you are in the wrong business. So I don't care what business you're in, if you're in technology, medical field, uh, military organizations, or political organizations, I don't care where you are. Uh, things are working because of people doing their job. So this is a people business. Uh, if you think that it's a, you're not selling because your equipment is not that don't have the features, then you probably got half of the picture picture right. The whole half is wrong. Uh, with that in mind, you got to understand that change not only happens outside, happens inside the organization. So you have different. Uh, type of personalities, cultures, uh, age gaps, and not everybody adapt to change in the same way. So therefore, some managers or leaders um, are a little bit hesitant to introduce change because of the disruption that that will create in their organizations. Uh, you got to be able to embrace the change. You got to be able to welcome change. I heard a phrase that uh, the only thing I know is not going to change is change. (laughs) So it's the only thing that will be perennial and it will never stop or cease to exist. So uh, just embrace it. And uh, I talk about uh, techniques, 
how to identify these changes, how to embrace the changes. And one of the things that I hone in is the excitement that those new capabilities bring to the team. I don't talk about how an iPhone is great. I don't talk about how these new computer systems uh, will sell more. I talk about how this new conquer, new technologies, new uh, features bring excitement to the team. Because I do believe excitement is the fuel, is the currency. It's what makes things happen. A team will run faster when it's excited, when they know that it's impactful. And uh, all that you can, you, you have the, uh, uh, I will say, is, is your role, is, your, is demanded upon you to be able to bring that back to the team. If you're not doing that, if you make it as mundane as possible, uh, certainly you're eroding, you're taking, you're depleting that energy out of the team and you're not going to get those groundbreaking, fun, and exciting solutions that you claim that your team is capable to produce. Excellent. Let me ask, well, let me, before I ask the question, I think we both can agree that, at least in our experience, we've had a number of managers who just simply don't know how to lead. Is it your belief, based on the work you've done and the research you've done and, and all the books you read in order to write this book, that it should be a requirement for managers to know how to lead? Or are they two completely separate things that are not touching? Yeah, that is an excellent question. Let me, let me make it even worse. Uh, let's say somebody asks, to have a successful company, every single position of authority should be a leader, right? If, you, if we go to the ex very extreme to the right, and I will argue no, so uh, you cannot have, or let me rephrase that. It's hard to, in nowadays, in today's environment, to have three different leaders of four leading a company, and there are examples in which those companies fail. So, but with that in mind, you can have different levels of leadership. you got the, um, the visionary leader. Certainly you need only one, because if you have two, then the ship will try to go North and the other leader will take you west, and then will be a problem. Then you have uh, a more uh, personality-driven leaders, which those are the ones to try to, uh, you know, lift you up and get the best of you to get to that visionary, purposeful uh, endeavor. And then you have the bottom leaders, and that is when you don't lead up to the chain of command, when you lead side to side and. You can practice this leadership in your home. Think about going on a vacation with the whole family. Talking about leadership. To me, that leader is when you don't have direct, uh, direct reports, you don't have authority over them, but they still follow you. And that's how small teams becomes big teams and you know, going from the squad to the company, to the division, to the platoon and big and in, in, in military organizations per se. But to answer your question, uh, yes, you do need to have leaders in a company. I will argue that you don't have to have everybody in the leadership. And that becomes an art again, right? So if you're CEO of your company and you identify two strong leaders, where do you position these two? What are the best positions? I put one in marketing, one in sales. I put both in marketing. So 
maybe. Uh, so I think the right answer is it depends of the environment. And isn't it true that along those lines, a true leader, in, in the case of an organization like that, where you have a multi-tier approach, that a true leader understands when he or she is supposed to be following someone else? In other words, there's that balance of when to be leading and when to be following? And that is an excellent question. At the end of the book, I kind of explore the different positions and I make an analogy with the battlefield. If we go back to history, how we used to fight wars, right? You used to have the generals in the top of the hill uh, directing the whole battlefield, right? And they, the general would say, go left, go right. Now the cavalry, now the uh, um, uh, the weapons, and so on and so forth. And then you have the middle leaders, the one that uh, the captains, the, uh, uh, you know, leading the troops towards the midfield to the front lines. And then you got the front lines, uh, drill sergeants, uh, and gunny sergeants pushing towards the, the enemy lines. So uh, I argue in that point that uh, it depends on the size of your organization. Um, you need to be flexible. Sometimes uh, a good leader will be a good follower in order to achieve progress. And in and, and, and the other, you need to lead. But uh, it depends on the, of the size of your organization. You can gravitate to why, to, towards the center. You need to be a facilitator make sure the different parts of your organization can connect and can, can move smoothly. Uh, if you need to go to the front lines, well, flexibility is the name of the, the game. If not the game itself, you will have to go to the front. But as a leader, if you find yourself going all the way to the front, existentially, there's something wrong in your organization. You shouldn't be in that point. Naturally, as your organization becomes larger, you should almost... Uh, never have to go all the way to the front because your middle managers will do that work for you. But you still need to continue to do the role that is bested upon you is bringing clarity. And if clarity, vision, and purpose is not spelled super easy to understand in all levels, then I understand and I think your organization will have uh, a, a systemic problem. And uh, the problem with the vision is not everybody can elaborate and be an evangelist the way that the visionary do it. That's why CEOs goes around the company and talk to all the members because you can you can pass your your gaspo to the uh, to the next level of managers or leaders. They can pass it, but you know how that works, right? So the message will lose energy, sight, and empowerment. So that's why the leader needs to be able to go to the middle and come back to the back. But the uh, you should be able to lead more than likely from the back, like the old generals did. So you need to be able to let go and let your people do the best in their abilities. You need to be able to trust that your vision and your commander's intent is strong enough and they are professional enough and capable enough to execute beyond what you conceive is possible. And that's the beauty of leadership. So uh, when you establish those commander intents and they're being executed by empowered 
enthusiastic uh, resources, they will knock it out of the park with solutions that you never envision. So letting go, right? Letting go, trusting your people. I, I think we can safely say that that uh, that is a challenge for a lot of the the leaders and or managers that we've encountered along our career because uh, you you see a lot of what we call micromanaging in corporate America today, which is the opposite of letting go, is the opposite of trust. Um, it seems that we have a lot of work to do. Absolutely. And sometimes we'll say, oh my, oh my gosh, this leader is so knowledgeable. How I didn't think of that. And when you go back, when you go, you know, to the 10th floor of the building and you look down, your vision is comprehensive. So naturally you can see how this game is played and you can, you can foresee opportunities or stop problems before it happens. But if you go to the second floor, your view, your purview get reduced. So you're not going to be able to see. So for those in the second floor, you become like a god. Oh, this guy is so smart. No, he's leading from the back. He's only coming to the front when it's absolutely necessary to stop a catastrophe or to fix or to teach. Sometimes you go to teach the front, not exactly. But the micromanagement, what it does, it creates stagnation. It creates stop because, hey, I'm going to stop. My boss is going to show up and he's going to show me how to do it. And that's the worst you can do as a manager. So uh, when I lead teams, I go to the front only to congratulate, to see what they're doing and to learn. And people is so enthusiastic to show you all the great work they're doing that is, is uplifting. And it becomes a synergy, uh, almost like a like a father and son, right? When you get your son, when you see it thrive uh, and both get proud, let me tell you, I mean, you get proud of what your people are accomplished and vice versa. I don't have a lot of uh, uh, leading like thousands of people, like my, the teams I led are small in nature, but I was able to experience these, um, these practices. And, and, and let me tell you, it's, it's accelerating. I, I, I would Anytime I have the chance to lead, I'll, I'll take it. It's, it's, it's amazing. One of the things you mentioned in the book that I resonate or that it resonates a lot with me is communication and how to communicate effectively as a leader. I actually have three episodes in this podcast dedicated to the art of communication with my friend John Malahi. Uh Tell me more about that. Tell me more about your view of how is communication or effective communication essential essential in the 21st century leader? So, uh, as I said, if, if you don't realize that we're in the people business, um, you're in the wrong business, I would say learning to communicate and to understand people is the worst. One of the best quotes I have in my book is communicating something and thinking that the communication happened is one of the biggest fallacies or the biggest mistakes that you can ever think about. Uh, and, and nowadays with the amount and of communication channels, because you can you get so many ways to communicate to your peers, uh, it creates more challenges because the, the way you communicate text message uh, it's one way the 
complete different, not complete different, but significant different than you do in email and way different than you do in person, way different you do in the office, in a social event, and so on and so forth. But I think uh, systematically we have a problem in communication. So what it is in our brains, it doesn't translate to words. I cannot put it, uh, uh, my finger on how to fix that, but uh, uh, I think it has to do with more human interaction, uh, my first thought about it. Uh, but more and more and more we see companies trying to communicate and creating more communication uh, block than anything else. One email turns into a hundred pinpoint of emails and still there's not a communication that just happened. So coming back to your question, how do I think that that happened? I think the best communication is, or the best message that goes from point A, point A to point B is the one said with the less amount of words. And still you're able to communicate 10 times more than you spoken, written, or signed to it. I have a, one of my quotes in the book is, everybody knows how to fight, love, and argue, right? Few knows when fight, love, and argue. Only a handful knows in what order. And I think that's the key, right? Uh, is timing is everything. So... You need to know when to apply pressures, when to say certain things. Uh, I can count multiple conversations with, oh, I went and I looked for that raise. Uh, okay, did you, did you elaborate why you need the raise? Did you talk to this person right after a meeting where we just report our numbers were down? So, and that's just one example of a miscommunication. Another one is, you need to ex- execute in something and uh, that is critical for an organization and, and you didn't ask the right questions at the right time, which led to a waste of time, resources, and potentially loss of that business. So we do have a big problem in communication. We need to practice more, again, go back to the patient and, um, and uh, resiliency and be constant in self-evaluation. We all, regardless if you're a leader, follower, or you're in the middle, we need to evaluate how well are we communicating. And it's okay to ask, can you, can you rephrase what I just said? Can you tell me if you understood the message? Uh, but in this hasty wor- world where we need to execute, 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 we're forgetting one part. It's just slow is fast, fast is slow. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I agree with you. I think, you know, communication is about, it's about clarity. You, you mentioned clarity as one of the three key items, but it's, it's clarity in when to listen. It's clarity on when to speak. It's clarity on how to process what's being listened. It's clarity on how to say what's being said. And it's clarity on when to do all that, right? Yeah. So it's 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 very important to know that communication, at least the way that the Greeks defined it many 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 years ago, in the times of Aristotle and Plato right. and those Socrates those guys, it's about 
exchange of information for the purpose of mutual benefit. Oh, and yeah. I think that that's one, that's, that's one of the challenges we have today is, is that people, people don't talk or communicate for the purpose of exchanging information, but more so for the purpose of imposing their views. And again, I have you know, three podcasts that actually talk about that, but I think here for the purpose and the essence of this topic, it is essential for the leader to have that understanding because this is not about imposing. This is about inspiration, motivation, clarity toward a common goal. And to do that, the individual, the leader needs and the follower need to be able to listen, to speak with clarity, and to know when all that should take place. So absolutely. I think we, we're absolutely on the same page on that. Well, Marco, we are out of time. As I told you, the time flies when you're having fun. Uh, what are some three things you like to leave the audience with uh, regarding your book? Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, before we go to the three things, I will say one of the uh, – I start my book with this quote. Uh, I write quotes. That's one of the things that led me to write a book. But I said leadership is not the opportunity to rise to power, but the power to create opportunities to order to rise. So and I think that gives me a good segue of the three things that I've, I think in my book I hone in and, and, and I go with this order. The first to me is inspiration and motivation. So, and, and you achieve that um, living, acting, transpiring, and, and being a good um, stewardess of uh, the, um, the importance of uh, what you're doing. So you need to be able to inspire, but you inspire not just with words. You need to roll your sleeves and show your craft. Um, and that comes to the hand of practical leadership uh, strategies. So you need to be sound in, um, in your options. You need to be flexible and be able to effectively communicate your techniques. You, you got to be able to uh, talk about the future with clarity, uh, unambiguously, where the, where the, uh, the future is going to take us uh, and what's our role and your role in it. And I think that's where our, some of our leaders uh, miss the chance to it. And the thing is a continuous learning and growth. And that goes personal, discovering all your uh, biases, areas that you need to improve, areas that your team needs to improve, and how to develop the next person who's going to replace you, which is counterintuitive for job security, right? But you need to develop somebody that will take your chair. If you're not doing that, you're not leading. You're just working towards job security. Uh, leadership is about to make everybody around you better than you. If you're not working toward that goal, then you are not being a good leader in my view. Well, that's fantastic. Thank you very much for your time, Marco. And for the audience, you know, the book is already on Amazon. It's called, again, Leadership, Art, or Science. It is an actual short read. So I really actually like that you went straight to the point. You didn't put a lot of fluff, if any at all. Absolutely. Like you yeah. said, the book is filled with quotes. I love the fact that you had your quotes, but you also use quotes from men and women who have had enormous success as leaders throughout uh, the past 10, 20, 30 years or even more. So 
thank you again for making the time. Um, looking forward to continuing to work with you on this and future publications uh, along the lines of this topic. Thank you, Michael. Oh, it was a pleasure. 